You are listening to a Red Now audiobook. The title is Beyond Theology: A Return to Faith. It is being read to you by the author Mark Matthews. Abiding faith. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. John the Baptizer. Today is July eighteenth, two thousand eighteen. Exactly one year ago today, I was arrested in Manchester, New Hampshire, and now twelve months later. Here I sit, in the Grimes unit of ADC, in Newport, Arkansas. With ninety days before I return to the so-called free world, it seems like a good time to stop and reflect. My memory of the events one year ago is vivid. My wife and I were living out of our car. We just joined a local Planet Fitness. So that we could have a place to shower, the vehicle that we were living in had stolen license plates on it, and I was a fugitive from justice. Everything we owned was in a storage unit. I was looking for work, but couldn't seem to find a job. You're overqualified, they told me. Life had become extremely stressful and frustrating, to say the least. I was on probation for a serious crime, and any run-in with the police would mean jail time and prison to follow, because I was in violation of the terms of that probation by leaving the state. In a word, my life was chaos. At this point, no one would call me a Christian, not even me. I was devoid of faith in the God of the Bible. For the past twenty years, I had fed myself a steady diet of unbelief. After leaving the church, my study of the Bible became academic, and I became a scoffing cynic, only looking to question and to take issue with what others held sacred. No longer did I keep unbelievers at a distance, as I had in my youth. Now I had become one. Moreover, I actively sought out their company. Indeed, I had yoked myself with unbelief. To my shame, I had become a scoffer and a mocker. In short, I was piling up sins and no longer cared about God's grace or asked Him for mercy. In a word, I was lost. Then it happened. The thing that I feared most. I was arrested. My wife was beside herself with grief and regret, as I was handcuffed and led away as she watched. As we kissed each other goodbye, we both knew that what we had was over. We had survived my last six months in jail, but this time, this time would be different. 
For the first time in my adult life, I was cut off from everyone. Apart from my estranged family, I had no resources and no one to turn to for support. Dad was 89. Mom was 80. As I sat in jail, the desire to return home welled up inside me. I wanted to see my family again. Whatever time they had left, I wanted to be there to share it. Soon this desire stirred my heart for God as well. My parents, you see, were Christians. They went to church every Sunday and even had pastor to church themselves at one time. That was years ago in Alaska when I was a kid growing up in the land of the midnight sun. Now all those memories were awakened in me, and with that nostalgia came a desire to return to God. I wanted to reclaim my faith, but I didn't know how or where to start. During my first week there at the Valley Street Jail, I picked up a copy of Battlefield of the Mind, written by Joyce Meyer. In chapter one of that book, she says, Satan attempts to set up strongholds in your mind, an area in which we are held in bondage, in prison, due to a certain way of thinking. The word prison got my attention. If she was right, I thought, then maybe I could free my mind from that prison while my body was on the way to it. The irony of that appealed to me, just like the title of her book. Still, I had a hard time believing Satan was real. I wanted to, to find my way back to God. But all this talk about the devil sounded like so much superstition to me. As I say, it's now a year later, and this week I actually checked out that same book from the prison library. I've been behind bars for 12 months now, and many of those strongholds that Joyce Meyer talks about have been reclaimed. I no longer doubt if Satan is real. In fact, my doubt was one of those strongholds. And reading Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis helped me see that that's in fact what was happening. That I was in fact allowing Satan to establish that stronghold in my mind by thinking that he didn't exist. But now, 12 months later, I have broken free from that stronghold. I can now agree unreservedly with the first point that Joyce Meyer made in her book. We are engaged in a war. Satan is the enemy, and the mind is the battlefield. Your life may be in a state of chaos because of years of wrong thinking. If so, it is important for you to come to grips with the fact that your life will not get straightened out until your mind does. You should consider this area of vital necessity. 
be serious about tearing down the strongholds Satan has built in your mind. Use your weapons, the Word of God, praise, and prayer. Looking back after 365 days, I can see how far I've come. The changes God has brought about in my life are dramatic. Regaining the territory that the devil has stolen from you, Joyce writes, if necessary, regain it one inch at a time. Well, that's good advice, and I took it to heart. Little by little, I reclaimed what had been stolen from me. As soon as I took a stand against the devil, I felt the battle begin to rage in my mind. Before this, I had compromised with sin and had come to terms of peace with my sinful nature, which just means I laid down the weapons at my disposal and refused to resist. As I began to pray and to read my Bible again, I felt temptation rising like a tide of a vast ocean. You know, the devil will try his hardest to stop you in this area of renewing your mind. He knows that his control over you is finished once you have learned to choose right thoughts and reject wrong ones. He will attempt to stop you through discouragement and condemnation. What helped me the most in those days, those early days, was a promise of God that I found and held on to for dear life. In New Hampshire, just 24 hours after my arrest, I was locked inside an intake cell with this one other guy, and we had nothing in the cell with us except the Bible. Now, it had been a long time since I had read the scripture, and this was a contemporary version, one that I wasn't familiar with. But for some reason, I felt compelled to open the Bible and to read it, and with some fear in my heart, I picked it up, and that large print CEV edition fell open to Psalm 69:33. For the Lord hears the homeless and does not forget his people who are in prison. This passage had my name on it. The words homeless and prison jumped off the page and seemed to be speaking directly to me. That night I started to pray with earnest faith for the first time in years. When doubt entered my mind, I pushed it aside by quoting this verse. I know you hear me, dear God, I prayed, because it says so in your word. You hear the homeless, and your people in prison are not forgotten. That's me. So I trust your word to be true, and I believe you hear me. Hear me now. Bring me back into fellowship with you. Heal my broken heart and my damaged soul, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this small way, I trusted God and trusted His Word. Clinging to this one scripture, I prayed that same prayer over and over. I started to obey and to do the right things and in so show my love and my repentance. Then I took a big step forward by joining a Bible study. There was a group of other inmates there who would meet together after lunch every day. At first, I kept my distance from them 
You know, I even found reasons not to like them. But at some point, I finally just repented. And then I jumped in with both feet. And before long, they accepted me. Those men became my best friends, my Christian brothers, and my life changed. The path before me opened up. God was working in me, no matter what I might feel, or how the situation might look. The Lord had begun a good work in me, and I was trusting Him to bring it to completion. Philippians 2.13 and 1.16 Of that fact, I was given blessed assurance. Jesus was mine. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ the Messiah, he is a new creature, a new creation altogether. The old, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Yes, I was redeemed. A big part of feeling redeemed came from the fellowship that I had with other Christian brothers. That was a true blessing from God, one which many in jail do not have. Jail is really not a good place, but for me, it was the best place. There couldn't have been any better place. I was getting the physical rest that I needed. But more than that, I had entered into a spiritual rest unlike any peace that I had ever known before. You can have your mind renewed, Joyce Myers writes, according to the word of God, good things are going to happen to you. Rejoice! It is a new day. That too is good advice, and I took it to heart. I made up my mind to praise God more and more every day. That's when I came up with the formula for victory and transformation. Actually, I must give credit to God. The idea for this came from my desire to create a three-point Bible study with the guys in our group. But uh, nevertheless, it was God who inspired me. The three points are as follows. Number one, acclaim. Praise the Lord. Two, reclaim. Change your mind. And three, proclaim. Share your faith. Acclaim, reclaim, and proclaim. These three things became my faith engine. This was my formula for victory, my plan of action. It would become my guiding principle in life. And I strongly believe that it was a model or an example for others. Essentially, it was Christianity in a nutshell. First, to praise God in all things from the moment I got out of bed in the morning until I retired at night, I did not fail to praise Him for all things. Yes, all things. And that means everything. Everything. Second, I was mindful to repent quickly if I was drawn into sin. I set as my goal to reclaim my mind. Every stronghold Satan had taken would be overturned. All the real estate that he occupied would be liberated. Third, I was also mindful to proclaim the message in word and deed. I talked about God 
and my faith in what he was doing in my life with anyone who was open. In this way, I shared my faith every day. Just sitting there with my Bible open in the day room was an invitation to others to join me, and a few did. This then was what I wanted most. First, to reclaim my faith, and second, to reach others with the steps that I had learned, so that they could, in turn, teach them to others. That is discipleship, and that is what I wanted to be zealous about. Being in jail and prison, I could see a lot of other men, just like me, men who had gone astray of their faith, men without a purpose in life, men who could be pillars in God's temple with the right motivation and opportunity. Every day, I prayed that God would use me to minister to those around me and that he would help me to write a book and develop the tools to do the same. I could see the need. I wanted to help those seeking God to find him and to help restore and build up their faith. I believed God is answering that prayer even as I write this. Faith comes by hearing and by the measure that we receive and apply the word of God to our lives will determine the measure of wisdom that he grants us. Conversely, if we neglect or ignore the knowledge of God, what little we have will be taken away and we will be left to our own sinful devices. This is what literally happened to me as I spiraled down into a pit of confusion and chaos. Such is the fate of the double-minded man. And I was resolved to no longer be that man. Now I am determined to serve God in every way, and never again to give Satan so much as a foothold. Again, my three-point formula is a powerful tool in this regard. Praising God comes first. Indeed, we don't experience success in our attempts to reclaim our mind until we begin to praise God. <clears throat> we don't have a right standing with God because we do everything right but because he gives us right standing as a gift of his grace. Don't think about how terrible you were before you came to Christ. Instead, think about how you have been made the righteousness of God in him. This is why we praise God. Only with a heart full of gratitude will our mind be renewed. Only then do the mysteries of the scripture open up to us and God's word becomes alive, full of meaning in personal and practical ways. There is nothing hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Mark 4.22 Things are hidden temporarily only as a means to revelation. As we study the Bible, we find hidden treasures, powerful, life-giving secrets that God wants to reveal to us in His perfect time. They are only manifest by the mysterious working of His Holy Spirit. However, these revelations only come to those who meditate, ponder, and think about 
and study the Word of God earnestly. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added. Mark 4.24 These verses follow Jesus' parable of the sower. The more we sow, the more we reap at harvest time. Jesus is saying the more time and energy we invest in the study and the application of his word, the more we get in return. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. Mark 4.25 These words of Christ pierce my heart. I was the one who had Bible knowledge, insight, and wisdom. But I was also the one who lost it all, like Nebuchadnezzar. I became a beast of the field, forced to eat grass. That's how it seems to me now. Still, I praise God for jail. It became my monastery. I spent the entire day reading the Bible, memorizing scriptures and praying. I was strongly motivated, knowing how close to the edge of partition I had come. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. John 15 It is important to remind ourselves, God does the work. He makes us fruitful. Of myself, being fruitful is impossible. My job is to abide, to remain in Him, connected to Source. Only when we are plugged in to the Source does the electricity flow through us. Sever that cord, and the power goes out. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and burned. John 15 I praise God every day that my withered branch was not cast into the fire, and I have been grafted back into the vine. Praise the Lord. Abiding in Christ keeps the branch fruitful and out of the fire. This passage also helps us to define the term disciple and to know who is and who is not following the Lord. He said, by their fruits you shall know them. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John eight thirty one and 32 Many people call themselves being Christians, but this word has lost all of its meaning. In this verse, however, Jesus makes it clear he wasn't looking for mere lip service from believers with their own agenda. We are called to relinquish our agenda, to drop our views, to let go of our plans, and to become obedient to the Master. This childlike humility is difficult for most adults. It is more than mere belief that a disciple is being called to. 
It means knowing his word and submitting to his lordship and doing his will. Obviously, belief is a good place to start, but intellectual assent is not the finish line. We have a lot of learning to do and a lot of ground to cover if we walk with the Lord. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God, and he will not go out from it anymore. Revelation 3.20 These are the words of Christ himself. They introduce us to the Master's plan for our spiritual growth in this life and eternal security in the next. He is talking about making you a strong support for others around you and a pillar for those within the kingdom of God. All God asks of his people is to have quiet confidence, to trust and obey, and thus overcome the world by their faith and the power of their testimony. Jesus' words, I will make him a pillar, are totally opposed to those self-help programs we are so familiar with. He doesn't say, you can make it happen. No. It is the Lord himself who does the transforming. Stop and consider that. Jesus is saying, I'm going to take the raw material of your life and shape it. If you're concerned that what you lack will hinder my work, don't be. I can create things in you that don't yet exist. You need only yield to my hand. The Master had a vision for Simon Peter, and he has a vision for you and me. He wants to move us beyond our apparent limitations to become a pillar of strength for others. When we look at Peter's life as a disciple, we are touched because he is so much like us. He is every human wrapped in a single person, says Jack Hayfield. He fumbles the ball, but he also picks it up and runs for a touchdown. Peter became a pillar not because he had a rare ability or a talent, but simply because he put abiding faith in the Master. Jesus overcame the world so that we could be overcomers too. Peter is a great example to us of this. We too can overcome the darkness of this world only because the glorious light of the gospel. We too can overcome hardship and difficulty, but only through Jesus Christ. We overcome evil by doing good to those who do evil to us. And we overcome the world by our testimony, by not, but not without the precious blood of the Lamb of God. The Apostle John asked us a question, but then he answers it. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's 1 John 5.5. 5. But let us also remember what the Apostle Paul wrote, that what, that whatever overcomes a person, 
to that he is enslaved. That's a quote from 2 Peter 2.19. If we respond to evil with evil, we are no better than the lost. We ought to be different. We're the children of God. So the Apostle Peter warns that if they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state will be worse for them than the first. That's Second Peter 2.20. I know the truth of these words from my own experience, but I rejoice that even though I was lost, God never gave up on me. There is hope for anyone who will turn to God and repent of their sin. We can be disentangled from all of that which has overcome us in the past. But repentance doesn't mean we just feel bad. It means that we change our mind and start going in a different direction. Often, we are powerless to overcome sin but that is where our abiding faith becomes essential for we are saved by grace and not through our own efforts. That means we need to be dependent on God and not ourselves. Having abiding faith means we stay plugged into God. It means accessing the power of heaven. We do this by putting into practice the three principles of the faith engine. Praise the Lord, turn away from sin, and share our faith.